Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. My name is Daniel Whitehead. I am the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. And during COVID-19, I am the host of our podcast. And today actually marks the final episode of our COVID-19 podcast series. Uh, don't worry, we will be back with uh, more podcasts in the future. But uh, yeah, this marks the last one. And uh, today I'm joined by a very, very special guest. I'm joined by the new National Director for Sanctuary UK, Corinne Pilling. Dan, it's great to be with you. Dan's in Vancouver. He's got up incredibly early for this, but it's a delight. I have. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It is very early in the morning. And um, uh, yeah, so Corinne is only recently, like, I mean, how many days it's when we record three, this? Yeah. Day three. three days. Three days. Wow. Okay. So he's still here. He's still surviving three days in. That's quite an achievement. Um, Karen, thank you for joining us. Uh, I know that you know what we've been doing in this series. We've been talking to people around the world in different places with different vocations, just hearing about their experiences of COVID-19 and um, yeah, their, their vocations and their work. And today we thought we'd just explore a bit about you and also a bit about uh, our hopes for Sanctuary UK. So... Why don't you, Corin, why don't you start by, for those who don't know, just sharing a bit about who you are, just practically where you live. Um, yeah, just tell us a bit about yourself. Very good. Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm in the centre of London here. So um, for those of you that know the city, I'm about a 10-minute walk from King's Cross Station. Uh, I've lived here for 10 years, and um, I moved here to become part of a, uh, a wonderfully diverse uh, church community, which is... Um, next to the social housing estate that I I now live on. Um, So it's been a wonderful thing. I've been in the area for about 17 years entirely, in London for 25 years. So um, I I love this city. Uh, People often ask me, how do you manage to live there at your age? And uh, what I tell them is that, well, it's a bit like the metaphor of of boiling the frog in the pan if that makes any sense to you. It's kind of, I don't know that anyone's turning up the heat because I've been here for so long. So it feels a bit like that. But actually, I think living in a city healthily does take some intention. And for me, there are a number of different rhythms of life that um, have become very important in terms of living well, um, but in terms of the entirety of who I am, relationally, um, emotionally, uh, the whole whole kind of um, gamut of my well-being. Um, it's, it's, it can be a pressurised place, but it's a place that I've often found to be an oasis, a place that's very life-giving and, and full of good things, as well as often uh, very visible challenges um, within, within a city such as London. Mm. That's really interesting, Corin, because obviously I, I get to visit England a couple of times a year, and um, it's always London that I'm based. I have friends uh, in Halston that I can stay with, which is always handy and I always go at the cheap times of the year so um, it's a relatively inexpensive trip for me but the thing I love about London I mean London has been so life-giving to me in those times and they're always busy times always meetings and going to and fro places but I've I just find it so exhilarating but the thought of living there all the time I'm guessing I'd like to think it would be like that all the time but I'm guessing it isn't um uh, and when you or maybe it is but when you talk about those rhythms those intentional practices let's talk about a few of those what, what are some of those things that you would do to re- 
maintain well-being in the midst of a busy city life? Sure enough. Well, I think one of the things that's really important is the um, when you're in a city and it's, it's crowded like London is and there's, uh, continue, there have been continued pressures on the transport system, for me, um, the most life-giving thing has been um, cycling in London. And again, it's one of those things that to start with feels a little bit overwhelming, the traffic's pretty heavy, um, but it also generally moves quite slowly. And so you find yourself in a place where you're able to get around on a bike and it gives you, it gives, certainly gives me a real sense of freedom and um, it means that there are certain stresses that I'm just not dealing with when I'm, when I'm cycling in London. So uh, wherever I can, and increasingly now going through lockdown and coming out of this particular time of lockdown, the bike's been an absolute gift in terms of keeping fit, but also getting to see people around the city. And um, so I, you know, I had a, a lockdown birthday, Dan, that I feel I want to share with you. And um, uh, this happened back in May, and this was at a time when we, we couldn't uh, visit each other in our homes. And I was thinking, well, I could do a Zoom kind of birthday celebration, but to be honest, I was already a bit tired of it by that point, and it felt a bit like work. And I thought, can I do that? Might be kind of nice big thing. So I got on my bike and I did um, a number of doorstep visits to friends across London, and um, I was very lucky. The weather was excellent, and I, you know. Um, you know, we had a, a toast each time I went to someone's doorstep, whether it was a coffee in the morning or, you know, um, something a little bit stronger by the evening. And I covered 55 miles in a day. So it was just one of, I guess, one of the kind of more um, conventional ways I was able to navigate lockdown, but still really enjoy the connection of friends. And, uh, you know, just a real benefit. I felt very free in the city that was at that point empty traffic like that now. Know, it's built back up again um but that, that was very much kind of about my kind of well-being in terms of my you know, very sociable person my friends important to me um but also that physical element too of just being able to enjoy uh, you know rarely clean air in a city and be able to get about on the bike very easily mm-hmm. yeah very good i love that i love how uh how practical that is how uh, how that just speaks to how we're holistically made that you know these practices are they're kind of sacred practices um you know riding a bike can be part of your rhythm of spiritual well-being and with it physical and mental well-being it's really good so current talk to us about lockdown um and i'm i'm particularly interested you know a lot of the people we've had on this podcast will will talk about lockdown they'll talk about lockdown in the context of uh family life uh but for you as a single man i'm really interested what have been some of the unique challenges of, of lockdown for you? So let's talk about lockdown and, and your experiences of that. Sure. I mean, it's been a really interesting journey. I guess, you know, many of us have been through all of talk about different seasons of lockdown. And um, I'm sure that many other people who have shared on the podcast, in fact, I know this, have talked a bit about the kind of the early period where there's almost been quite a lot of activity. You feel really energized about making changes to your life. There's a necessity that's pushing it. And then, um, after that comes a period where you're starting to think, well, what I've experienced, um, how can these rhythms work for me? And the reality, of course, is that when we talk about our well-being, um, there's never just the one thing that keeps us going. There are actually lots of small and very subtle things that we're reliant on for you know, living well, um, having a stable mood, 
of being connected to each other, feeling that we've got some sense of meaning and purpose within our lives. So all of those things are often interconnected. And suddenly, within this time, we've been through a collective experience of many of those things being stripped away. And so it, for me, the big thing as a single person was that um, I'm in this great flat here in, in King's Cross, but a lot of my life happened outside of it. And so I then went through a period of, okay, well, hang on, I'm going to be home a lot. I can only get out an hour a day. Um, what's going to happen? And so I got back into my running. That had been a bit sporadic. And I, that hour of exercise that we were allowed to do during that time, you know, apart from going to the shops, I really pushed into that and, and started to really appreciate the, the, you know, seeing nature change around me. And I became a lot more mindful of nature in the city during those times. So that little moment of kind of, well, those things I can't do, but here's what I can, uh, proved to be a real gift. And I think, you know, in a way, that slightly offsets some of the other things. And one of the things that, you know, if you don't live in the centre of the city, this is something that's not always obvious, but there's a real sense of um, communal life in a city when people rub along each other. And it might be not even anyone you necessarily know or say hello to, but there's a sense in which kind of, you know, we're thrown in this together. Any time when there's a, you know, there's population density, um, you are having to navigate the people around you all the time. And suddenly that sense of being in it together, even in a very implicit way, um, that all changed. And there's a sense of people were isolating, feel quite fearful. Um, but, and it was within those moments that I became really, really thankful for the times when there was connection. And I, when I was out, out on the runs, I would start to try and be a lot more proactive about smiling at people. Um, and not everyone would smile back. But I started to see a bit of a pattern of more of that happening just through my proactivity. And perhaps, you know, not everyone can do that. Some people feel very, very fearful and probably still do around the possibility of, um, of catching the virus. But those small things became really important. And again, if I'm not able to see people in person as I wasn't, um, those connections became much more meaningful to me. So there have been a few of those things that happened. I think, I think the other thing in terms of uh, being single um, that I, I realized kind of there was a gift in. Um, I mean, it probably goes without saying, I'm not having to deal with the challenge of homeschooling that many of my friends and peers have been dealing with. And so there was a whole window that opened up in my mornings by not having to travel to my workplace where I was able to hit a much more healthy physical and spiritual rhythm where one of most days I would be able to be involved in quiet contemplative prayer. That's a practice that for me has been a really important spiritual practice in the last 10 years. And like many people that, that do that, we'll, we'll talk about our experience and the fact that, you know, some, some days it feels like we're getting nowhere. Um, other days you find a bit more of a rhythm to it. But it's, I find it a very grounding practice, this kind of approach to silent prayer. And it's one that I felt like I was able to really step back into fully um, due to the fact that two hours of my day was not spent traveling anymore. Mm -hmm. So that, with the running, um, and I was starting to um, even do yoga, even do yoga. I don't even know what to before. So, you know, I've been enjoying kind of the online practice of doing that. So it felt like a time where a lot of the relational things that fire me have gone or aren't present the same way, but there are other things that I can do to kind of reconnect with myself, reconnect with God, 
um, and you know, connect with my body in a new way. And those sorts of things are quite important, I think, when you are in a confined space, that you can find a way of kind of being physical within it, a way that feels healthy, um, that you, you know, there's variety enough within your routine. So you don't get to that point where it just feels like a flat line. You know, finding leads to pull where there might be some creativity. And for me, that actually ended up being poetry. I'm a big fan of poetry. I wasn't writing it, and I won't be sharing it. <laughs> oh. but I did a um, friend challenge me. I started sharing poems because I, 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 was, I was really enjoying reading poetry a lot. And a uh, friend said to me, why don't you read them to us, do a film? And so on Facebook, I started, um, I do a Poetry Tuesday, and then I, I just picked through poems that, you know, had been selected by friends, and I'd... Um, again, it feels pretty luxurious if you've got kids around to be thinking about doing anything like that. But this was one of my benefits and the things that I enjoyed doing, of just that process of curation, of connecting with someone else's creativity and then trying to present that work. Um, and so I did that for a few weeks. And that was a really enjoyable little project that I was able to kind of bring to myself. And um, it, it helped me connect with friends again through the digital media and Facebook. So, you know, there were, again, gifts in that for me. And I hope, I hope for others as well. I'm sure a few people like that. <laughs> but I, I, well, I, I like listening to it. I, I tuned in every week. So, um, yeah, it's great. And that's so good, isn't it? The, the, this theme keeps coming up, but the, the weird, I mean, listen, what's happening is terrible. We need to keep saying that. And uh, the news certainly keep reminding us of that when we see stats from around the world and what, and, and, and still what's going on. But, um, there are these weird, uh, opportunities that have emerged just and people have rediscovered yeah hobbies or i mean they're more than hobbies but people have rediscovered vocations they didn't know they had because they've been forced to a place where they've had to really ask the bigger questions of how do i stay well during this time and and i think part of that has also been a bit of an honesty around the difficulty and not trying to put too much of a spin on the good. So obviously I've talked about a lot of the positives. We're in a much easier place now. Um, we're socially distancing, but, you know, I can see friends in groups outside. We, you know, um, if I want to, you know, you can you can go into restaurants. My preference is not to do that. I, you know, I feel that's a bit of a risk at the moment, but, you know, places are open and you can, you can buy food and you can buy drink. So things have opened up and a lot of the other activities I did, you know, I can't do concerts, comedy, all these things, they're, they're not possible at the moment. But I think that the, certainly there was a period of time where I felt the importance of really being honest around some of the struggles and just saying, well, you know, this virus is not equal. There are my neighbours I know who are maybe a single parent household, multiple children, they're not experiencing this in the same way that I am. And the impact on their emotional well-being is way, way bigger than for me. And being mindful of that, and um, for me, that meant getting involved in, we've got in the UK what are called mutual aid groups. Um, they may have sprung up elsewhere. It's a locally organised, um, not a government-run thing, it's just a group of volunteers get together and we start to look out for our neighbours and find out what they need. And um, for me, that was a very connecting thing of, uh, you know, recognising a very, very simple business of neighbouring could be a really, a real gift to me as well as other people. And the thing to say about that, I think I, the penny dropped. It was like, well, this shouldn't feel exceptional or heroic. It's just doing normal stuff. 
but it's something that sometimes gets lost, I think, within generations, within cities where we can get a little bit fragmented and we can network and become friends with people who are very like us. But it's something that most of our parents' generation did without thinking. They didn't need a medal for it. You know, they just got the shopping for the neighbour. And, and I, I reflected on it thinking, well, if this feels like a big ask once a week to do for a neighbour, it probably means that my life's too busy. Yeah. And, yeah. and certainly I've been thinking about that and I've been you know, finding other ways to connect with people who might be a little bit more on the edge and, and less, less likely to kind of um, ask for help within mm. time too. Um, and just recognize again that there are these challenges and you, can, you can't always fix those things. It might not be a gift to do that, but you can provide some other company or a little bit of help within that situation that, that is meaningful. Yeah, it goes back to that thing, Corinne. Obviously, I've lived in Canada for uh, how long have I lived here? Like uh, nearly six years. Mm. Um, but I'm born and bred in Britain. I spent the first 32 years of my life in Britain. Um, the whole British thing of when adversity comes, community spirit seems to take over that whole Second World War kind of spirit seems to kick in. And it, it seems to me, it seems obvious to me, but may not seem obvious to others. But uh, at a point where things are stripped away, we're forced to rec recognize and get to grips with who we really are as people. And it seems like it's so embarrassingly obvious, isn't it? Like do less, care for others, um exercise get outside these are all parts of just how we've been made and yet our cultural narrative of autonomy and busyness and productivity uh in the western world has just sent us off on a tangent which is making a lot of us unwell and we we don't even know it we you know we, and i know that that's something that that obviously speaks to the heart of the work that we're committed to I wonder if you could speak a bit about your own vocational journey of how you've got to this place, how you've got to this work mm -hmm. where you're now leading Sanctuary UK. Um, yeah, talk a bit about your journey. Of course, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that's really driven me since the beginning of my, my career, I guess, is um, I've been really interested in what it means for people to thrive. And, um, you know, a good amount of my my early career has been spent working with homeless people and uh, my particular interest in um, developing services and providing providing them uh, to people who've experienced homelessness was around um, employment and training and the recognition that you know we we all need uh, we all need some level of um, you know both developing um, our skills and also a place where we feel connected and useful within our society and in a way it comes under this broader banner of purpose and meaning that I feel that we you know we're created to uh, to experience and I mean in fact within recent probably the last 10-15 years of the development of positive psychology that's become a real point of engagement for people of faith and not to you know recognizing basically if that's something that people aren't engaging within their broader life, then their, the level of life satisfaction is quite low. Um, for me, it really started as, um, you know, coming alongside people who were um, often deeply challenged, often people who were substance addicted, who often had um, quite severe mental health problems, sometimes undiagnosed, um, and being in an environment where I was to start with providing some accompaniment in their life and then latterly developing services that really were wanting to help people progress within their training, their employment. 
So I've done that across London for many different charities before. Um, you know, like, again, I, one thing I probably should say is in parallel to that, the, the sense of vocation around church's community felt, I felt really deeply. And so I uh, wanted to be in spaces and in communities that were exploring that, that we're, you know, I've talked a bit sometimes with others about this idea of being friends with people that aren't like me. And um, I've really appreciated the gift of that within the different church settings that I've had, like the very different experiences of people, you know, in terms of their their life experience, uh, where they're from, Um, you know, the um, the way in which they um, they express who they are, all of those things within a very diverse in city environment. Which I mean, for me, the gift has been people thrown together, um, and for me, the gift has often been, you know, we've not we've chosen to be to go to the church, but we we're all mainly the connection for us is a local thing, and that within that wonderful uh, accident we find community, we find God within the midst of that. Mm. So I've seen the way that kind of I've changed in it. You know, people have given mm-hmm. me with their experience. And I've seen also that when kind of we get stuck into that business together of worshiping God and trying to follow Jesus, you know, what the impact of that can be like. There's just a real richness and depth that comes yeah. from challenge, of course. It's interesting, Corin. You, you're talking about friendship. That's the second time you talked about that, and, mm. and like a rede- redefining of friendship. Mm. Um, one of my friends is a friendship theologian, mm. um, and she was talking to me about how uh, these aren't her words; these are mine. So I don't want to butcher her thesis. But <laughs> but as I see it uh, from talking to her, there is this sense in which friendship has been twisted to become something else in our again in our Western. Um, uh, productivity focused driven culture it's almost like it serves a utilitarian purpose it's like you know I, I make friends with people who are like me um, who, who ultimately serve me and she was sort of saying well no the more biblical vision of friendship is how do I get along with people who are nothing like me mm. and and in that sense that's very much reflects the nature of our relationship to God I mean we're made in God's image but let's make no mistake about it we like God is very different to us. And and yet he not only, you know, he doesn't go, well, you're my children. He, he also calls us friends. We've moved from being sort of slaves to friends. And so there is this whole other way of understanding friendship. And, and actually the, the more theological, the more spiritual approach to friendship is mm-hmm. to truly press into how do I relate well to those who are nothing like me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems to me like you've, you've made that your mandate for your life which is uh i mean it's amazing but it's also kind of handy because it's shaped you to be this theologically integrated person um i'm just throwing that out there well, we're on that journey i guess and i think you know i really love that you refer to that piece of scripture because i think it's a really pivotal moment you know there are a number of these epiphanies aren't there in the gospels where we start to see more of who god is and, I, you know, you could say, well, obviously all the Gospels are revealing that and both, both Testaments are doing that. But there are these key moments where it's you, suddenly there's this incredible um, awareness and it shines a light on everything. And um, that, for me, is so beautiful because, um, in a way, it happens at a time of quite a level of vulnerability within the story of the disciples. And so you see that happening at a point where, you know, the, the there's... Um, I mean, it, 
you know, the, the, the building story that's happening, of course, behind it is, is getting more and more dramatic, more pressure around it. And you, you get a sense of that. But Jesus calling his disciples friends, I think, is a really key moment for us. And I, I, you know, I'd love to hear more about the work of your friend, because I think that's something that really resonates with me, that idea of the theology of friendship and how we can, I think, within our society, again, we're becoming more atomized. And, you know, again, reflecting back on that moment when I was talking earlier about these mutual aid groups, that actually we're just doing what's normal, but it doesn't feel normal because of the fact that within our consumer society, where a lot of our choices are being made about transactions, becoming a lot more transactional rather than relational. And so that feels countercultural, but actually it's kind of it's normal. It's the way we should be. It's the way more of our exchanges should be in every sense, kind of economically, in all kinds of ways within our communities. So I think often when I'm seeing that, when I'm seeing people's choice to be relational in that way, I really want to celebrate it and highlight it, even if it feels really small. Because there's that, there's that sense of this is normal. Maybe it feels countercultural. Let's not call anyone a hero, but let's just say let's make this more normal. Let's continue to practice it as much as it does. Mm. Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. So you talked about you were working with homeless people, very much a, a calling to the centre of London, to the estate you live on, to the church. So these are these are themes. And then uh, you would have moved to your your previous role. Uh, so maybe just tell us a bit about your previous role, though, because yeah. like you moved from working with homeless people to that role. That's right, absolutely. So I, I sort of got to a point where I felt it was time for a change, and I started thinking about the ways in which some of my these passions can come together in new ways. And um, so some of my uh, my experience in our family is one of disability. My dad is disabled, and. Uh, I was increasingly interested. He has a progressive disability, uh, progressive illness, and that's his experience of disability. And um, I was interested in in digging in a bit more in terms of the experience of people who are disabled. Um, also, I found myself in a situation where, you know, my um, the, the element of church that I was doing, I was starting to see more of a need for community development within our approach. And those two things came together with me working for a charity called Livability. And Livability work, work across the UK. Um, they provide services to people who are disabled. And that particular point, um, there was a whole strand of work that was offering support for churches to engage in community development. And so uh, within that time, I started looking at, well, what, what does it mean to become a church that's truly inclusive? where there aren't barriers to involvement. And that drew me further on into this question of mental health. So mental health is something that um, you know, we all experience, it's something that we, uh, we often, at different times, and I'm speaking myself here, we need help to be able to thrive in. We either need new learning, new practices. Um, sometimes we really need um, you know, huge amounts of support in order to kind of help us through periods of time. And so thinking, feel like this is an area that the church could really grow in. So we generally started exploring that. We um, already, when I arrived at Livability, there was a course that was looking at well-being together. Um, but we then went on to develop more um, more expressions of, uh, of, uh, of this area of mental health. And I guess the very beginning, um, just thinking, well, it does feel like churches are really talking about mental health in a way that's engaging to them. And, the two things that came together at Livability was if we provide people with really good models to engage in things they do, and if we combine that with really good theology, 
then that's a winning combination. So those two things, like almost the understanding things from a biblical perspective, uh, a theological perspective, and one which is drawing from different faith, their, their, their faith tradition, alongside this is stuff that really works. How do we understand that within our Christian faith? And how can we open up conversations that help people really dig deep into the reasons why this is important? from a Christian perspective. And you tend to find that that leads to change. You, these moments where these kind of paradigm shifts happen are in those conversations where you're offering those questions, that material. And so that process really was very much at the heart of how we developed a lot of our material around mental health. And, uh, you know, a guide that um, we produced at that time and written by a very gifted colleague of mine, uh, Matt Ray, called Lifting the Lid. Um, it was really opened up, um, it was a free download, it really opened up um, looking at mental health from a biblical perspective. Um, we also had some great input from um, the uh, British uh, homeless charity Mind and Soul, and uh, within that resource it was drawing from the mental health access pack that we produced together. So, but the main thing was, here's the first opportunity, as it were, for you. If you're, if you're not talking about mental health in your church, then here's a great way for you to start doing in a way that gives you permission to, to look at that. And I'm not saying that people weren't talking about it in any spaces before that, but I think it leaded things for people. It gave a lot of permission. And then it started us down the journey of digging deeper and saying, well, we, we need to go further with this. How do we extend this conversation so we can start to change people's um, thoughts, practice uh, around it? It's mm, very good. So I'm I'm now piecing the history together because I'm thinking I first met you in uh, January 2019 mm -hmm. when I went over to England. We launched the sanctuary course in October 2018. January 2019, um, I was put in touch with uh, Ruth Rice, who leads Renew Wellbeing, who is our mutual uh, good mutual friend. Yeah, and. Um, I actually connected with Ruth in the middle of 2018 on the on just as we were coming into land on the sanctuary resource and I let her see it she really liked it and said well we could use this in renew as a building a foundation of knowledge and a shared learning experience from which churches could start these renew well-being centers which mm -hmm. are just these everyone should look up renew well-being uh, it's just it's a brilliant brilliantly simple model but really powerful how they create space for people to um, I think do recovery together, but to do it in a very natural relational way. And it, it really just places the church as this safe place, this place where it's okay to not be okay. And I just think their vision of how they do that and how they integrate with the health service, uh, how they make sure that people are being cared for holistically and, and how they don't, they're very clear on what they don't do. And, and it's just, it's wonderfully simple. And I, I just, if, if I get my way, Renew Wellbeing centers are going to be everywhere all over the world because I think they're brilliant. Um, so I connected with Ruth and I went over to England to do a bit of networking with her. Um, and we went and did a, an event up in the north of England at a Baptist pastors conference. And then we came down to London and we announced our partnership, Renew and Sanctuary's partnership at Lambeth Palace. And we invited some people to sit around the table and you were one of them. And uh, I remember, you know, feeling... It was a strange moment because I was had all these Brits. I'm a Brit, but I'm from Canada, which is a bit confusing for people. And it's kind of like this feeling of who's this foreigner who's just turned up. And um, I was kind of going, "Well, Ruth invited me. I'm not. I, you know, I'm not pushing myself in here." But after that meeting, uh, you 
Corinne, yeah, you came and spoke with me. And I know Will, uh, uh, Mind and Soul, Will Vanderhart also spoke with me specifically um, just to say, hey, if there's any way we can work together. And, and you made a point of saying that. And uh, so it began a friendship and we met a few times during that year. And I'm thinking now maybe we should talk about uh, how we got to here, the mm-hmm. transition from your role at Livability to, to this moment. Maybe speak yeah. a bit to that. Absolutely. So um, I think, you know, just picking up from that thread, the, the fruit of that meeting at Lambert was um, we then went on to meet, the secretary met with, with me and, and others at Livability, and there was this sense, I think, of which we've really got shared values and approach here. And uh, the more I got to know about the sanctuary course, the more I thought, well, this is something that would really enhance the, the work that we're doing. And um, so very kind and generously, that was provided uh, to those that are trained on our mental health course and people were then able to follow up. So it was a way of, again, really consolidating the learning that um, we were starting to offer at that point. And so um, cut to a few months later, um, the change in direction of livability. Um, a lot of the people that livability support are those who are in residential settings. Some of them are in other um, day provision. Many of them have very complex impairments and their experience of disability often means that there's a level of exclusion and livability decided that it's really important for them to focus their resources on, on tackling that particular issue. They really wanted to also place an emphasis on the spiritual lives of those that they were supporting. And so um, um, after a good amount of discussion, um, it was then decided that they would redirect and, and form a new strategy around this and that they would then um, seek to find a, a home for some of this other work that we developed as a team. And, um, you know, we we then started looking at, well, with all this great work, where can it be housed? And at that point, um, Dan, ever the, the man to see a good opportunity, said, well, it looks like there's a, um, there's a window opening up here. And, uh, and so that's when you and I started talking about maybe there's a way in which we could kind of continue to, to build on the work that started with livability around mental health, join in um, all the excellent practice and resources that have been formed by Sanctuary and then find a way of uh, continuing to build on that and develop it within the UK. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so true. And I'm thinking that was last October, was it? That was October yeah. 2019 when I was in England and we were presenting at a few different quite a few different events in a two-week period and um we were at the race course in isha uh and we had lunch together and just had this conversation that began to explore not that i was anticipating that but explore what would it look like if if you were to come and work for sanctuary i mean how would that how would that even work and uh and so uh yeah winding forward a few months we were able to find funding uh for the uk uh, specifically for the UK. That was uh, an amazing provision. And uh, we were able to find, um, we were able to get you over to Canada to meet people, uh, which happened just before lockdown. Like, I remember when you were over here, we were kind of watching the news going, maybe Corinne's staying. Maybe, like, maybe you can't go home. Because um, you were here for like six days, weren't you? It was a really uh, short trip. It was yeah. very short, yeah. And every day it was building up. And I, you left right at the beginning of March. And uh, I think within five or six days, maybe four or five days of you leaving, everything kind of shut down. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were grateful to get you over here. But again, you had a chance, the, the board, our 
Canadian board had a chance to meet you and a few donors got to meet you and um and yeah and 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 here we are and this is uh it's been an amazing journey that we're enjoying seeing where it goes and uh just so grateful for all the work that you're your experience, but also the, the the practical work you're bringing with you. Um, maybe speak a bit about the particularly the resource that you've you've brought with you or rehoused that sanctuary, oh, which is Live Well Together. Talk a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Live Well Together came about um, by uh, really me looking at this question of what what is the unique gift that the church can bring around this topic of mental health. And what I realised is that within something like mental health. Unless as many of us within a community are coming on a journey where we're developing our awareness around it, it will always be one of those issues where it's a kind of, um, it will be seen as purely a pastoral issue. It might be seen in the terms of deficit. There's a problem. How do we support this person? And I felt that, you know, some of the the learning that I've been involved in uh, livability really took on much more strength-based approaches to this question. And, um, you know, it's a bit of a wordy um, descriptor, but asset-based community development is something that's underpinning this. And it was something that I felt, you know, we need to be proud of the resources that we have and can bring to bear as a community. But unless we see that we all have a resource, then we're going to be very limited in our response. So live well together um, is a training offer that what it does is essentially it introduces some, um, some theology around mental health, um, some models around mental health. And the transformative element is within each community being able to hear each other's experiences in it. That then we hope will lead to people making practical changes within their community in terms of their response to mental health. So it brings everybody's awareness up um, but not only that, it brings their, their knowledge of each other and their shared experience up within a, an environment that we uh, we ensure is as safe as possible. And it's you know that can, that that's a process that is um, a very very powerful one I think for a community to share because mental health then is suddenly not that's just you know a problem that somebody who has got a really um, a very severe. Um, and, and troubling experiences, experiencing something that's all of us, all of us is having. And again, not to say that that's a level playing field. You know, um, my experience, for example, with low mood will not be the same as somebody who has, you know, a much more um, uh, challenging diagnosis of mental health. But what it does do is it starts us to help talk about those experiences in a way that we can be a lot more shoulder to shoulder with each other and then hopefully demystify some of those experiences as we share them and as we hear about them in the context of, the, uh, of that training. So we've been really excited at what the communities have started to do with that and I'm excited about the possibility of us being able to um, deliver that um, involve more people in those conversations so we can start to see that shift and so that mental health isn't just something that one specialist does within the pastoral team, but it's something that the whole church is on a journey on, building well-being together as well as awareness around it and changing our practice. Mm. Uh, very good. And one of the things I think that's key to say about that is, you know, our approach, uh, we're working together. We would see coroners in, in, in essence, I mean, technically, your Sanctuary UK is its own charity and Sanctuary Canada is its own charity. But uh, we we are working collaboratively and really asking the questions of, you know, what, what does Canada need? What does Canada, North America need? And you're asking the question, what does the UK need? And 
this is an example of a resource that I think is really made for purpose for a UK context. But the thing that's exciting for us is, well, but is there space for that here? Is that something we can replicate? And, and you know, and, and the answer probably is yes. But we're looking forward to having this more collaborative approach to creating resources. And I know that we've created a resource for the UK, uh, Deeply Rooted, which people in the UK can download. I guess anyone anywhere can download, but it's written with the UK church in mind. Um, and uh, just thinking around resources, when I think about the resources we're currently working on, like we're working on the Sanctuary Course for Catholics, we're, we're actually just coming into land on that project, which has been a big undertaking, but that's one that will go out onto an uh, uh, internationally renowned platform called Formed. And we actually intentionally did some filming in the UK to give that resource more of a feel of being an international resource. Yeah. And certainly with the Sanctuary Course, the second version, which again, I mean, we launched the first version two years ago, but we've already had to start thinking about refreshing that because that's the nature of these yeah. these things. So we'll be launching the second version. And again, we were able to film with people like uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. Isabel Hamley, um, uh, who's an Anglican priest and works at Lambeth Palace, the Archbishop's chaplain, um, uh, Professor Chris Kirk in Durham, uh, Ruth Rice from Renew Wellbeing, we film with her, uh, Rachel Newham from Think Twice, another partner organization, we film with her. So we tried to, we're going to actually intentionally give it this more international feel. And we're working with reviewers in the UK as well, people like Chris Cook uh, and obviously John Swinton, one of our ambassadors. So, um, yeah, I think there are some ways we can work collaboratively and create things that are one size fits all, but we're also looking at what are the specific needs of each culture and and creating resources that fit. So it's just great to have your skill set and your expertise and your contacts and um, yeah, just all you have, Corin. I, I I don't I actually don't think we could have found a more perfect person for the role. And I and I don't think we felt this was very much a God thing. Um, this is an opportunity that God presented, and it was one that we've been able to seize and grab. And we're really excited to see where it goes. And I know you are too. Um, Corin, maybe you can just, as we sort of come into land, maybe talk a, just a little bit about the vision for Sanctuary UK. What 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 are the unique opportunities and challenges and and things we see in the UK context for Sanctuary? Well, of course, I mean I think one of the one of the wonderful things about um, operating in the UK is that there's a lot of really good partnership uh, already happening between uh, others. Um, there are a number of um, colleagues who've been involved in really raising the game in terms of opening up the conversation around mental health. And um, so it does feel like within the last few years, it's definitely shifted to, you know, we, we're talking about mental health way more and the individual contributions that each of these organisations have made is really important. Now, I think, here we are, we're on the cusp of what are the practical changes that we're making. So it's not just the conversation we've had. But it's now how are we remodeling? How are we looking at our practices individually and collectively that are helping us to maintain our well-being and also helping us to respond where we need to when people are in a level of mental stress? And I think both of those things are really key. They're part of the same coin. So um, we're certainly in a challenging environment and where uh, people's access to statutory mental health services is becoming increasingly problematic. Um, often it's maybe an emergency stage that people are getting the help that they need. Um, and I think that that's something that is, is a real issue. And I think the level of awareness that we can 
developed in churches around that and advocacy is going to be really important. But also, I think the general health of how we're modeling communities is going to be really important. Church leaders um, as congregations. Um, and again, there are challenges to that. You know, we are in a, an environment where uh, many people are often running multiple congregations if they're in a church environment. That's starting to happen more. And even within lockdown, the, you know, there's been huge impact on church buildings because of the fact that obviously we're not meeting, but also there's often income coming from those buildings. That, that's been, there's been a huge impact there that will mean that congregations will have to uh, probably join together and again, get back together. We'll see massive change in the way that we're doing that. So we are in this space at the moment. Whenever I think there's disruption, there's always possibility. So I think it's really important that we start always looking for where are the opportunities for us to maybe remodel. You know, how can we make choices that are going to make our life as a community together, honouring to God, honouring to each other, healthy fundamentally rather than just overstretched and pressurised, which is sometimes the experience that many of us have being in church. So I think there's a really great opportunity for us to really open up that conversation and, uh, you know, and to model it. Um, that's the challenge, you know. There's, there's a lot to do, but also we need to do it in a way that's healthy and honouring to ourselves and reflective of the way that God sees it. And it's great. I love that you're so right about the culture of the UK, what's already in place and some of the partner organizations. We've talked a lot about Renew Wellbeing and Ruth Rice and we've talked about Mind and Soul with, um, you know, we had Kate, uh, Dr. Kate Middleton on our podcast recently, uh, Dr. Chichi, who is one of the also one of the directors. We've actually filmed with him. So his footage is being used in the Sanctuary course for Catholics and uh, his footage will be used in Sanctuary second version of the course and we talked about Will Vanderhart and and they've been a really really encouraging organization to us in helping us network and promote stuff for us and I, they're a great signposting organization I love that how clear they are on their vision uh, very early on we were talking about what they did and they were just like no we don't do that we do this we we are like this advocacy signposting organization who sort of hold this space and we point people to other organizations doing good work so uh, really grateful for them and that and that partnership and um yeah i think of like rachel newham at think twice and and there are others but uh there's just there's there's some great work going on and uh i, I think my feeling is that sanctuary's offer is quite unique in that um but there is a, there is something there that we can help be part of that 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 team and uh yeah so it's just really exciting and really excited for you corin and really really grateful for you um Corinne this is your moment is there anything else you want to share with people before we wrap this up um I think the only thing I'd like to do is just really point out the, the deeply rooted resource really that tries to tackle this idea of uh, making sure that we stop and pause to really think about our well-being and it's aimed at church and community leaders but it's good for anyone that's busy and feeling overstretched and just needs to reroute a little bit within spiritualize and reassess how things are going in terms of their well-being it's you know i my yeah my my greatest wish is that our material directly impacts people and it's not just a nice idea but we're able to really start and think about okay how can our practice change and you know that's not easy to do um the first thing is committing some time to that so i just really would encourage people to do that we've entered august which is often a quiet time certainly in the uk in terms of people going away um I'd really just encourage people to download Deeply Rooted, bring it with you on your holiday reading and just 
takes the time out to think about how things can improve or whether that's something that someone else needs that you know that would really help. Great. And how would people download that, Corin? Where would they go? So if you go to um, www.sanctuarymentalhealth.org forward slash UK, I think that's the important part of the address. I think I got that address right. Um, then you'll find it there and you can type your details in. That will give you the download that you need. And yeah, it's free and we hope it's helpful. That's great. Thanks, Corinne. That was actually just a test to see if you know our web address. <laughs> Trust me, when I was early on, it wasn't day three. It was probably like month three. I would sit there going, um, just Google Sanctuary Mental Health. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Corin, thank you for joining us. We are very grateful for you and we're grateful that you're part of the Sanctuary family in helping this work expand into new places and, and to help people and communities in the UK. Thanks for joining us. It's a privilege to be here, Dan. Thank you so much. Great. Well, this actually not only concludes this episode, but it concludes this series. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you for bearing with me. I've never done podcasts before, so um, I've learned a lot. Or maybe I haven't. Maybe I'm doing the same things wrong that I did in the beginning. But at least I've been consistent. Uh, but thank you for joining us. And as I said, there will be other podcasts in the future. They just probably won't be starring me. So uh, look forward to those. And uh, in all seriousness, this has been a difficult season for us all. And uh, from all of us at Sanctuary, we care profoundly about the work of the church. And we believe in you. We believe in the work of the church. And we believe that... The church is really well placed to help society, particularly in this time. So uh, keep talking to us, telling us how we can better support you, resources you need. We are here to create them. And uh, the good news for you is they're all free. Everything's free. Just go on our website, sanctuarymentalhealth.org or sanctuarymentalhealth.org slash UK, and you'll find great resources uh, for the church. Okay, God bless you. See you again. Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to be a sanctuary for all people at all stages of their mental wellness journeys. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and the stories of others, as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those suffering with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point, creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for people to share their mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social, and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual's story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. Interested in exploring the Sanctuary Course for use in your community? Learn more at sanctuarycourse.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like.